Hey, how's it going, coaches? You're tuned in to Keep Your Pads Down, a podcast dedicated to the defensive line, which means if you're a D-line coach, this podcast is for you. Anyway, D-line coach or not, thank you for checking us out today. I hope you had a great 4th of July weekend, celebrating the freedoms we enjoy in this country, spending time with family, eating some great food, and maybe popping off some fireworks. And speaking of fireworks, we have an absolute dynamite guest See what I did there Uh, on the podcast today. But before we get to him, let let me kind of set the table by saying this. You know, it's my opinion, and and this is not like an earth-shattering hot take here, okay? But it's my opinion, you know, there are certain positions on a football team where the guy coaching those positions has got to have some juice, some snap, just like just be able to freaking get his guys going, you know, and how they do that. It can can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. But the defensive line is no doubt one of those spots where you can't hide a dud of a coach. You can't. If if you're a a guy who just kind of passively coaches, you can't coach a defensive line. Offensive line is the same thing. Offensive line coach, you can't, you can't have a mouth breather over there twirling his whistle trying to coach up the offensive line. You know, those two types of guys, and again, I'm biased. I'm a defensive line coach, okay? But the expectation for those guys should be extremely high and what they bring to the team, bring to the program as far as their energy, their enthusiasm, their passion. And, and so I think that you got to have a dude there in that spot who can just flat out get his guys going, bring that juice with him, you know, wherever he goes, be able to command a room. And, and, and that is exactly the kind of coach that we have on the podcast today. Today, I'm thrilled to be talking with Colorado Mesa head coach and the pride of Houston Walter High School, Coach Tremaine Jackson. You know, like many of the coaches I've had on the podcast here, I've never met Coach Jackson in person, but it took all of about 30 seconds of talking to him to know that that he's the kind of coach I was just alluding to earlier. And I'm telling you, you know, if you walk away from this episode and you're not fired up and didn't have a good time, then there is something wrong with you because Coach Jackson brings the heat today and has a lot of fun doing it. As I mentioned already, Coach was named the head coach at Colorado Mesa University this past December, but he began his coaching career at Texas A&M Kingsville as a defensive line coach in 2006 before heading to Trinity Valley Community College for the 2007 season. From there, Coach Jackson headed to Texas Southern University as a tight ends coach before becoming the D-line coach and then later the defensive coordinator for the Tigers. While he was at Texas Southern, the Tigers had the number one defense in the FCS in consecutive seasons in 2010 and 2011. From there, Coach Jackson spent a season at Evangel University before heading up to University of Sioux Falls where he served as the defensive line coach and later the defensive coordinator for the Cougars where he was part of three nine-win seasons in a row and a record of 32-5 and during his three years as the coordinator, which included a conference championship in 2016. From Sioux Falls, Coach Jackson moved on to Abilene Christian University where he served as the defensive coordinator before heading to Texas State University where he served as the defensive line coach for the Bobcats during the 2019 season. Now, as I mentioned already, Coach Jackson is a native of Houston, Texas, and played offensive line at Texas Southern after transferring from University of Louisiana Monroe. Today, we're talking about Coach Jackson's football journey, his ascension from position coach to coordinator to head coach, and then we get into how he coaches up stopping the run, which involves an interesting technique that Coach employs involving his guys' hand placement. And then, of course, we wrap up our episode with our rapid-fire segment and have a lot of fun with that, including I asked Coach Jackson, a Houston native, who plays the better high school football in the state of Texas, Dallas, or Houston? He answers that question and a whole lot more, so let's get to it. Coach Jackson and I have a lot of fun in our conversation today, and I'm excited for you to hear it. So without further ado, here is Coach Tremaine Jackson on episode number 67 of KYPD. 
Well, Coach Jackson, looking forward to chopping it up with you today. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Glad to be here, Coach. Let's uh, let's let's jump right into this thing. You just started there up at, at Colorado Mesa as the head coach, but you are a Houston guy. So let's start there. Tell us how a guy from Houston Walter High School wound up in Grand Junction, Colorado. Fill in that those gaps for us. Yeah, it's funny, Coach, because I ask myself that probably every other morning <laughs> when I wake up and see these mountains. Uh, you know, it's I, I always knew I wanted to be a football coach. Um, so after I played, I, I played at Louisiana Monroe and transferred to Texas Southern. And when I got done playing, I jumped into coaching at Kingsville and um, as a GA and, and kind of fell in love with being a D-line coach. And, um, man, just kind of wanted to see how far I could go in the coaching profession. And leaving Kingsville, I got a chance to go to Trinity Valley. And from Trinity Valley, got a chance to come back and coach at Texas Southern. And, was able to coach on offense and defense there, been, was a D-line coach, and uh, finished with there, my time there as a defensive coordinator. Had a lot of success on defense. Uh, looked up one morning, Coach, and I, w- I was in Houston. The next morning I was in Springfield, Missouri at Evangel, and did 10 months there, and, and then did four years at the University of Sioux Falls, which I had never been past Kansas City. And so yeah. to go up that that high and, and go five hours past Kansas City to Sioux Falls um, was was a, certainly an experience, especially a cold experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so got a chance to come back to Texas with a guy named Adam Doyle uh, and Abilene Christian, who who I think is probably one of the greatest Division II coaches of all time and just a great coach. Uh, so I really wanted to learn from him and uh, went to Texas State last year. And, and went FBS. I always wanted to do that, and kind of always looked at that place as a premier place. And next thing I know, I wanted to be a head coach. And Colorado Mesa University called me. Uh, I came here and I interviewed. And, and uh, December twenty third, they called and offered me the job, coach. And I, it, it's been a experience, a great one. Uh, these people took a chance on me, and I'm glad they did. So, is coaching something that you always knew you wanted to do, even as a player? Or did that come along later? Yeah, because from, from the third grade, I can could, I could remember drawing up X's and O's, not even knowing. I look back at it and go, I only knew one play, and that was the Madden ISO or the Tecmo Bowl <laughs> ISO. And uh, just yeah. kind of drew that stuff up in, in, in my third grade class and kind of knew that that's what I wanted to do. I, I was a 5'11 to 6-foot nose guard. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to go to the NFL at a certain point in my career, so I wanted to stay around it. But most of all, I wanted to do what was done for me, which was give back to a kid that, that needed some guidance. And so that this allowed me to do that and stick around the game of football. And so from when I realized that's what I wanted to do, I knew coaching was going to be it for me. I know you have several guys you've talked to me and just in uh, in. in our conversations leading up to this one about uh, some coaches who have influenced you. So talk about those guys, those guys who really influenced you as a player and, and just have impacted your career today. Yeah. You know, first of all, I go back as far as middle school, a guy named Ernest Carswell, who's now at Wheatley high school. He was my middle school coach and he was the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. Uh, he wasn't a head coach, but he, he, he called both sides of the ball from what I remember. And he was just really energetic. And he's the first guy that kind of showed us, hey, football can get your education paid for. And then I, I went to high school and met a guy named Van Malone, who was at Kansas State now as the assistant head coach. And and uh, coach was was like my dad. Um, he coached me. He coached me at Wall Trip. 
I stayed at his house. I watched him with his family. And uh, he kind of was the father figure in my life for a really long time. And, and then I got into coaching and, and wanted to be great on defense. And, and so I got with a guy named Kevin Ramsey, who I think is um, one of the best to ever do it on defense. And so I was, I was really fortunate. Kevin Ramsey really made me go from being just a D-line coach to a defensive coach. He challenged me on coverages and things that, you know, we normally as D-line coaches don't deal with. He challenged me on those things and really made me a complete defensive coach. And, and um, yeah, I think him and his mentorship through the X's and O's and just the profession along with those other two guys really made me the guy that I am today in coaching and as a man. You, know, you you mentioned some of those so stops that you made, and it's it really kind of spans the country from you know talking about from coaching in Houston to uh, Sioux Falls to uh, to San Marcos to Abilene. Uh, talk about some of your highlights from those places and and just some some successes that you've had there because I know you've had some really successful defenses, some really stingy defenses along the along the way. So just talk about some highlights from some of your uh, coaching stops. Yeah, so, Coach, you know, it, it's funny because I started my career at Kingsville. We weren't very good on defense. I went to Trinity Valley. We was even worse. And um, I I got a chance to uh, um, go to Texas Southern where I, I was on offense, but I, I moved over my second year to defense. And that's when Coach Ramsey came, and we started something called the 212 defense. And, you know, when you're at HBCU, you better name your stuff to sound cool or else you'll just be average. Yeah. And so yeah. We, we took the, the boiling point method and we named the defense to 212. And we were excited about being 4-3 and being traditional 4-3, not 4-2-5. We had a true sound backer out there. And in the SWAC, the spread stuff and the air raid stuff that you see, that's been in the SWAC. And so 2009, we were seeing – versions of RPOs, not to the extent that it is now. We were seeing that stuff, and we were being really successful by being 4-3, being aggressive up front, really good at corner. And so we ended, we, we were probably 123rd when we got, when we took over in 09 on that defense. 2009, we ended up 25th. 2010, we ended up number one in like six different categories, including total defense and top five in scoring. And then 2011, I was fortunate to become the defensive coordinator when Coach Ramsey took over as head coach. And, you know, how do you follow the number one defense? You know, the only way to do that is to go number one again. And, and we were really fortunate to do that. I tell folks I took over a really great situation. The kids knew the, knew the system, and I just had to steer the boat and not screw it up. And so we, we moved on from there and went to Evangel. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't bring the 212 with us to Evangel uh, because the, the coach there wanted to be 3-4. And so we kept the principles and the verbiage and the mentality of the 212. Didn't call it 212, but we were able to go be one of the top defenses in the NAIA, and it wasn't even what I was familiar with, but the belief system was. And so we ended up having our first winning season there. Uh, in, in, in 10 years at Evangel, we went 7-4. and four. I leave there. I go to Sioux Falls. I'm the D-line coach. Uh, in 2013, 
I'm the D-line coach. We give up 828 yards against Southwest Minnesota one night. The head coach comes to me at the end of the season and says, hey, I'm going to make a change. I want to give you the defensive coordinator job. I was about to leave, coach, and come back down south. And uh, the kids came and asked me to do it. And from there, we were able to be – we went 32-5 and five in three years uh, when we, we did get a chance to put the 212 defense in there along with that mentality. And we go 11-0 and 0 in the regular season at a school that doesn't have a 1,000 students and just a little small Baptist school um, that, that's known for football but hadn't really had the success in Division Two, And we go 32-5, and five, win playoff games, win the conference outright. And the NSIC is a tough conference. And so yeah. from there, we're able to catch the, catch the attention of Coach Doyle, go to Abilene Christian again, Coach. We're taking over one of the worst defenses in the country. I think they were 123rd out of 124. Uh, when we got there in 17, was able to get that defense to the top 55. And then the following year, we were able to get to the top 25, top 30 on defense in a bunch of categories, top 10 and third down, which hadn't been done in school history. And so uh, I felt like we had done all we could do at ACU and wanted to go try my hand at Division One, and, and definitely, but we've, we've been blessed to be really good on defense. And, and I say it's not an X and O deal, Coach. It's been a mentality deal, and uh, the kids have really bought into it, and I've been fortunate to have those kind of kids. You know, Coach, you mentioned uh, that it's not an X's and O's thing, and that, that obviously was the case because you you, know, you went from being a 4-3 at Texas Southern to a 3-4 at Evangel, and you know every yep. situation you go to is different, different types of kids, and, and your recruiting pool is different. Flesh out that yeah. mentality that you're talking about, you know, when you say with the 2-12 defense, like what is that? Uh, you know, give yep. us, to talk about that vision and what that is. Yeah, so so the the two twelve is simple. Um, you know, at two hundred eleven degrees, water is hot. At two hundred twelve degrees, it boils. We always challenge those defenses to be the extra degree on the team to put us over the top. Um, we know that you can't win championships without playing great defense, and so we kind of broke it down um, into we have our own mission statement, and we simply believe in the relentless pursuit of perfection, incorporating the use of our three weapons, our eyes, our hands, and our feet. Therefore, we'll challenge ourselves daily to win all one-on-one battles expectantly. We won't settle to be better. We'll only settle to be the very best. And we, we put that into our kids. And so it doesn't come down to coverage. It doesn't come down to uh, a lot of scheme here in and here out. It comes down to me winning that one-on-one battle expectedly and, and really getting kids to buy into that. So we talk about kids have three weapons, eyes, hands, and feet. We simply say eyes, hands, and feet won't get me beat no day of the week. If I, if I violate my weapons, that's how I get beat. And so we try to coach kids in that manner. Uh, instead of saying, hey, you made a mistake, and not telling the kid what he did, we say, hey, you violated your eyes or you violated your feet. Uh, we, we, we coach the violation so kids on defense understand why they got beat. We always tell kids this, Coach, no running back um, ever just run. He, he's not very – he just doesn't run through people all the time. Uh, what running backs do is they run through open gaps that defenses misfit. Yeah. And so we coach kids on how not to misfit those gaps. And what I've been proud of, Coach, as a coordinator and a D-line guy, is the run defenses that we've had. Uh, being top top 15 in the country in rush defense, I think we were 12th 
at uh, at, East, at Abilene Christian my last year. That's what I've been proud of. Because if people cannot run the ball against you, uh, you got a fighting chance every day of the week. And so we put a lot of emphasis on things like that. Coach, when you rattle that stuff off, that mentality, I mean, I, I think if I were to wake you up at 2 in the morning and ask you that question, <laughs> you, you could tell me no doubt. And and so I, I think I think we had uh, had Ruffin McNeil on uh, a month and a half ago or so, and, and you know, he kind of had the same thing, like just this, this mentality, this belief, and he said it's got to be in your soul. Otherwise, yep. it's just it's fake, and you'll change, and you won't ever – like the kids will, will sniff that out. And so it's clear that, 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 that what you're talking about right there is not just hey, this is something we're going to throw up on a poster. Two twelve. It's 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 who you are, and it transcends into yep. the kids and everything that you do. And then that's where, because I was going to ask the question, you know, what's the key to a turnaround? You know, turning a defense around, around, and that's it. You know, it's not scheme. Yep. It's it's that mentality. It's that philosophy. And now you got to believe in it wholeheartedly, and then go get your kids to believe in it as well. And that's and that's great stuff, Coach. I want to I, I want to kind of take a little bit of a turn here. You know, you've been at again, you've been at a lot of different places, uh, recruited a lot of different areas, a lot of different parts of the country. So, especially on those lower levels, sometimes our recruiting trips can be a little unusual. So, give us your most <laughs> unusual or interesting recruiting story. Oh, man, Coach, I, I'll tell you, it comes right to the front of my mind. I'm at the University of Sioux Falls, and we are – I'm from Texas, and I just know there's a direct flight from Sioux Falls to Dallas. I just know everybody in the room knows I'm from Texas. We're passing our recruiting areas. I'm going to get the Texas recruiting area because if anybody can get them to Sioux Falls, it's me. And, Coach, they put me in, in eastern Iowa. <laughs> And I have never, I never even stepped foot in Eastern Iowa. Next thing I know, I'm in Cedar Rapids, um, you know, Iowa City, the Quad Cities, all the way through Rockford, Illinois. And me, Coach, I'm, I'm you know, when you're from Texas and you've recruited Texas, you, you get spoiled because yeah. high school coaches are in the office in Texas. Yeah. Um, you don't have to really go to the front. I know some coaches might not want me to tell that secret, but you just kind of go around to the field house and the head coach or the recruiting coordinator, somebody's in there that can help you with recruiting. Yeah. Because I go to a school in Eastern Iowa and the head coach is teaching biology and they will not pull him out of class. And wow. I'm sitting here going, I, do you understand who I am? I'm the football coach. I'm here to, I'm the college coach. I'm here to recruit your kids. The secretary tells me, hey, coach, um, your, your job is not very important to us. Uh, the coach is in class. That's what's the most important. The kids are here to get an education, and you can either come back after school or call and make an appointment. And, man, I realized right then that it's different in different parts of the country. Yeah, wow. And, uh, wow. <laughs> So, so you peeled you, you peeled out of the parking lot in your rental car and just chunked them the high deuces in, huh? And, and moved on to yeah, drove drove to Tet, drove to Houston that day. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about uh, just your kind of flesh out your coaching career, and I want to talk about just how you know we talked a little bit about your defense there. We're going to get in. You, know, you talked about how you've been really proud about how you guys have been able to defend the run over the years, and, and we're going to talk a lot about that. Uh, but first, I yep. want to talk just about your ascension from defensive line coach 
to now a head coach because you know with, with our audience being mostly defensive line coaches and I'm sure many of them yeah. uh, have have higher aspirations than that you know coordinator head coach um, so you know you I want to talk about two different stops because at Texas Southern at Sioux Falls, you were already on staff and then you were promoted within the staff, you know, to defensive yep. coordinator. So, yep. and, you, and you talked about at Sioux Falls, the head coach came and, and said, you know, Hey, I want to, I want you to be the guy. You had players coming up and saying the same thing. So what were some things mm-hmm. that you were doing at those stops that got the attention of your head coach and those players that allowed you to, to move up in advance? Um, coach, you know, I think I, I, I took a lot of pride in my relationship with my players and, you know, not just some coaches think having them over to the house is, is really taking a lot of pride in them and really loving on them. And that's part of it. But I mean, in everything, everywhere I've ever been, every facet of a player's life, I wanted to be a part of if he wanted me to be. So from picking a girlfriend, I've broken up with a few girlfriends um, <laughs> for players and, uh, or, or, Hey, coach, what do you think about? I'm about to ask so and so to marry me. Um, tell me your real thoughts. I've kind of been that involved as a coach uh, with with all of my players, uh, whether I was a DC or the D line coach. But I think what was different at those places, um, the the coach, the head coaches there saw that, and they saw the relational aspect, and they saw how the kids played uh, as we coached them. Yeah, and so. Um, that that got me over the top. I know for a fact that the University of Sioux Falls uh, at Texas Southern, I think I was I was groomed without knowing that I was being groomed to be next. And and so having a relationship with the unit, uh, already being groomed and and being you know prepared to take over, uh, it made it easy at Texas Southern. But at Sioux Falls, I think the relationship that I had. With kids that weren't D linemen, uh, with DBs, with linebackers, with the quarterback. I mean, for four years at Sioux Falls, we had the same quarterback, and he and I had a pregame ritual uh, where we give each other starbursts and things of that nature. And so yeah. that was just something I think people saw, and um, you know that that's what gave me an edge in, in getting those opportunities. You know, building relationships with players is is crucial. I think especially. Uh, today in our in our day and age and and so here here's what I want to know if I were just to shadow you for a day uh, whether you know at your at your current spot now or even maybe let's take it back even when you were just a position coach that way you because you really have a lot of time to be around your guys when you're a position coach or even a coordinator if I'm if I'm following you around like what would I notice some things that you're doing with your guys with the guys on your team you know to build those relationships what are some things you're doing there you know, I think you'd be shocked at the amount of time that we don't that we spend not talking about football. I think we get it we get our work done. Uh, but I'll give you this example. We walk into meetings, the first ten minutes of meetings are not about the install. If I know I've got thirty minutes, then I'm gonna take five or ten minutes to talk about something funny and, and just kind of loosen guys up, you know what yeah. I mean? And and get guys in a mental capacity to where they know it's not just a grind the whole time. And so I think that's something that we've always done differently uh, as I go and visit other places. And, not, and, and I think you find out that we'd have a lot of fun uh, with, with different guys on the team, but we'd also, you'd be surprised at how quickly it goes from fun to business time or yeah. work time. Yeah. Uh, and our kids, you'd, you'd almost think that they just changed face uh, because that's kind of how we trained them. Uh, and so me as a position coach, 
we go from a joke to a serious conversation. Yeah. And and we just kind of had that ability to do that. Uh, and I think he is really respected that we just didn't grind them into the ground, uh, that we did respect what they wanted to talk about. Uh, but we knew when it was time to work, we actually got a lot of work done. And so uh, you shout on me for a day, Coach, we're going to eat good, too. <laughs> at 12 o'clock, at 12 o'clock, we're going to lunch no matter what time zone we're in. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, now, give me, um, you know, if let's let's say you're at Texas Southern. So you're there in Houston. What's what's the go-to spot for lunch? Well, we, we might, if, if you with me, Coach, I'm going to take you to the soul food restaurant, just Oxtail. I got you. Uh, I got you. And uh, if I'm by myself and got to get somewhere, I'm going to Frenchie's. Okay. Uh, but you know, when you when you come, cause we're going we're going to sit down and have us a whole feast. Well, it's, so as you went around these different spots, I'm sure if you go up to Sioux Falls, is it South Dakota? Yep. South Dakota. Did you did you have a good place up there to get oxtails, or was that no? Those probably few and far no. between up there. In, in yeah, Sioux we Falls. had to get them at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's what I'm proud of about Sioux Falls. My first two years there, I complained about not having a Popeyes. There was only one Popeyes chicken in the whole state of South Dakota. Um, and my last two years there, they put one there, and I was there twice a week, Tuesday and Friday. Um, and and I, I think my complaining helped get those Popeyes there. Coach, so far, you're not giving us guys – I mean, you're making me very thankful that, I, that I'm coaching and living in the state of Texas because you know, in Iowa, you got head coach – you got a head coach teaching biology and can't get out of class to talk to a college coach, and there's no Popeyes in that's South it. Dakota. So I think I'm good where that's I'm it. at. I, I, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Well, uh, so let, when you when you're making the transition from D line coach to coordinator, what was the most difficult part about that transition? Being sure about the back end. Yes, uh, I was really really confident in the run game. The gaps from a run game standpoint, um, knowing where the fits were, but I had to—I—I I, I knew that I knew the back end, but I had to be sure because back end guys are a little different. I had a couple of DB coaches; they were a little different, and, uh, and you know they kind of look at you funny when you don't have the right three by one check. And so, just being confident in the back end that I believed in what I believed in, uh, and that. The back end fit what I wanted to do up front, and and it all the the puzzle pieces all came together, and that was that was tough on me my first year because even though I had a great uh, game plan in front of me and a great blueprint, we had different players. It wasn't like we were returning guys. We had lost 13 guys off of that defense in, from 2010, so we had the scheme down. We had to retrain players and get new players, and so uh, getting those guys to to uh, to know where they fit on the back end was a was a challenge, and I had to be very confident in that that I knew what I knew and didn't second guess myself. So, coach, and, and so this is real talk right here. So I'm, you know. I'm I'm in the same boat. A lot of guys listening to this are in the same boat. I've never coached a secondary, and and I'm sure if I were to ask you this, you know, you would say you probably picked the brains of a lot of secondary guys. You paid attention, you know, in that part yep. of the, the 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 install. But is, is there any substitute for just doing it and just for experience? And you'll never know at all. You just got to get out there and do it. And like you said, be confident in it. Is that kind of what your approach has to be? I'm tell, I, I really believe that wholeheartedly, Coach. I, I think until you get back there and do it yourself and understand how that feels, 
then you're going to always kind of wonder. And I'll give you this example. I, Coach Ramsey taught me a lot about secondary play, made me watch Skelly, made me get up and draw the back end. But it wasn't until I got to, to Sioux Falls where I stopped coaching the D-line and I walked around as a coordinator. And when I walked around, I was able to work with every position. And I was at, we were a, a big motor mirror team, uh, press team at Sioux Falls, and I had to get back there and teach motor mirror. And I had to teach offhand jam. And I had to teach what a squat corner does and where his eyes are. And so I, I forced myself to do that so that I could know for myself. Yeah. And that way I wasn't just relying. What I've seen in my career is, and this it works too, so don't get me wrong, but a lot of D-line coaches, they rely on a back-end guy to just tell them what to do when they're coordinating. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to know. I wanted to be able to teach the defense front to back, back to front. Um, and, and if somebody ever left my staff, I wanted to be able to just fill in. Uh, and those kids still get coached at a high level and not a guy coming in learning, if we could help it. Uh, and so I chose to do that and, that, and that was the best thing for me, just jumping right in it, getting back there, and then going to clinic on it with other people, with other DB coaches. And, and them looking at you like, you're 320 pounds. What do you know about corner play? <laughs> well, here's what I know. And so I, I think that's the best way, Coach. Yeah, no doubt. That's a great great advice, Coach. And uh, so as you go from, from being a coordinator now, now you're a head coach. And, and we talked about this before we, we started this conversation. You know, now you're a head coach. And what has to be, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's other moments in history that, that would rival this as far as just, uh, just I can't think of in my lifetime anyway, a more difficult time to be a head coach, especially a first-year head coach uh, with all the, that you've had to deal with over the last uh, you know, four or five months. What's been the most difficult part so far about your transition from coordinator to head coach? Man, coach, you know, the, the biggest transition for me, I would have to say, is not knowing where I fit at a workout or a practice because I'm not with a certain group. And I'll give you this example. Before we left for spring break, before COVID hit, we were doing voluntary, not voluntary workout, skill instruction, because we can do skill instruction on this level. And we'd had a team out there. They'd be in little small groups. And I wasn't working with a group, and I really didn't know what to do. I'd go stand by the quarterbacks. They'd be on the field. I'd go by the running backs. they want another piece of the field. I was just all over the place, not really knowing where I fit. Fast forward to now, we're one of the lucky ones where our kids are here for the summer in Mesa County. Uh, we're, we're fairly open compared to what you're seeing around the rest of the country. And we're able to do voluntary workouts with our players. Um, and I'm standing out there again, not knowing what to do. And yeah. so I think most people would say, man, the transition, dealing with COVID, this, that, and the other, I had been preparing myself and other coaches had been grooming me to become a head coach. Uh, so from a structure standpoint, from a program standpoint, what we want to be, who we want to be, what we are, um, how we want to look, recruiting, we, I had already had all that stuff in a book ready to go. And, you know, some guys jot things down and go, okay, when I need it. I've always looked at that book every year in case I got an opportunity and I had to jump in it quick. And so from the staff that I hired, 
um, to getting our first weight room workout together, that was already planned years in advance. So that part was easy for me because I was already prepared for that. The hardest part for me has just been what do I do during practice <laughs> besides manage practice, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, and then, you know, we've, we've had COVID. I think our people uh, at Mesa have done an awesome job at forming a plan, um, having, we've, I've served on several committees. We have plans and protocols in place to play the game. Um, you know, now we're just kind of waiting to see where we are. So I don't, that really hadn't been much of a transition to me. Making sure kids were safe has just been the biggest concern, uh, making sure guys are okay. And so, uh, but standing around at practice coach, not knowing what to do has been a real issue for me. Um, and, and not being in the way per se, right. You know, letting my coaches coach, I got a D line coach that I coached in college. And so allowing him to coach, um, you know, standing back and looking and not, not letting him feel like I'm standing over his shoulder since I coached him and I'm a D line guy has been the transition. I coach, that's not even something I would have thought about, but I can imagine that's really, really difficult because like you said, you're not one to step on anybody's toes, but you know, you're a ball coach and you want to be, get in there and mix it up. And, and so do you yep. find yourself, you know, almost because, you know, a D line guy, you're going to want to go watch the D line, right. And make sure that that's yep. how you want it. Do you find yourself kind of deliberately going to other positions and not gravitating towards the defensive line since that's probably what you're inclined to go towards? No, no doubt, coach. You know who I spend a lot of time with? The kickers and punters. <laughs> I spend a lot because those guys are kind of off to the side. My special teams coordinator is the receiver coach as well. Yeah. So they're kind of off to the side. And, and so I kind of go over there and not, I don't want them to feel neglected. And we're, we kind of got the same story. Hey, nobody, nobody really wants me around either, yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah. And so let's just sit over here and let's kick some balls and snaps and, and get snaps on pun and, so I kind of work with those guys now, and uh, I, I do not go – I don't go on the defensive side a lot because I feel like I hired the right people. And yeah. so I want those guys to be able to do their job without me looking over their shoulder. And they know the expectation, just like our offensive staff knows. And, and um, you know, I want to make sure guys are able to do their job yeah. un, un, uninterrupted. Yeah, no doubt. You know, when you're getting ready to make a move to another program – uh, what are some things that 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 you looked at or that you considered uh, that that sometimes may go overlooked? Yeah, yeah, I looked at um, really what what the success pattern had been at Colorado Mesa. You know, out of five five of the last five championships, we won three of them, and so or be or tied for three of them. So. That we're, we're three years removed from winning, from winning nine games three years in a row. Um, we had a, we've had a winning season since 2014. Uh, we we had there was a success pattern here, and I think a lot of guys when they start getting head coaching interviews, they they start they they go for the opportunity and don't look at the whole package. Um, I didn't want to take over a job that was 0 and 11. Um, because there's they're 0 and 11, not just on the field. They're 0 and 11 somewhere in the administration, in my opinion, somewhere throughout the school. And so I felt like that would be an uphill fight for me. And so I wanted to make sure that we had a winning administration. And I did my research outside of the administration, outside of the interview, just talking to some folks that knew some folks here 
in the higher-ups to kind of see what the level of commitment was to football. Um, and, and I wanted to really look at that more so than even the talent pool that we had or the recruiting area that we had. I wanted to see what the commitment level of the administration was because if it wasn't going to be there, we, we would never be as successful as I would want to be. And so once I found out that they were committed to winning, uh, that we were going to do some things differently that had been done, then I was all in. And so I would tell anybody, make sure you understand what that, what that administration is doing uh, because they're interviewing you and you have every right to interview them and find out what their commitment level is as well. I, I'm, I'm curious, what was the, when your, your feet hit the, hit the ground in Grand Junction, Colorado, what was the first order of business as head coach uh, there at, at, at Colorado Mesa? Yeah, so when I first got here, school wasn't in. So the first order of business was to get on campus and find the people that were going to be um, very instrumental in our success. And, and those people to me are financial aid, um, the registrar, admissions, housing, you know, the, the, the places where your kids spend the most time, the cafeteria people. Um, I wanted to really recruit those people and get them on my side. Uh, I felt like if we could get those people on my side, on our side and, and in our program, um, then we would have a fighting chance if we ever needed something later on. And so that was the first thing I did. I spent the first two days here going around. We were in a dead period for recruiting. I couldn't really get out uh, and around the community as well. And so that was, I, I hit the ground with the grown folks, as I would say, before I got a chance to talk to the kids. That's interesting. And again, I think that's great advice because sometimes, you know, that's maybe not be something that you would, that might not be a lot of guys first step. You know, I know mine would want to be, all right, I want to go look at the kids, go talk to, you know, look at the facilities, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that sort of thing. But then you go back and look at all the, how how important and and integral to uh, uh, the success of a college football team, especially on the division two level that those people are. And that, that's, that's a, um, that is, that's definitely something you have to, you have to take care of and build those start building those relationships with those guys. Um, yep. so, so what advice would you give to young coaches looking to advance to become coordinators or head coaches? Believe in yourself. Um, man, I, I look back in, in 2006, I sat in the room as a GA, breaking down a bunch of tape that I didn't want to break down, but I knew that they, it would be greater later. And so I, I, would, I would tell young coaches, man, believe in yourself. Don't put a cap on your dreams. Um, for me, because I wanted to be a head coach, I had no desire to coach in the Power Five as an assistant. I wanted to be a head coach, and I wanted to run my own program. And then whatever happened from there happened. And so I think you gotta, you gotta, you have to have a path, or you have to understand what your dream is, so that you can have a plan on how to get there. I knew this time was coming, and I never want to sound cocky. But I had I had I interviewed 14 times for head coaching jobs. Uh, I got to campus seven different times, and so I always finished second. I knew one of these times I was going to finish first, and we were going to get an opportunity. And so I never stopped believing that. I never stopped preparing for that. And when it came, it it it, it became easy for me and how we got ready for it. And so I would I would tell those guys, man, just keep. Whatever it is you want to do, you want to be a coordinator at, at any university in the Power Five, then keep working towards that. Keep networking and keep 
keep working the dream. A lot of people dream, they don't work the dream. And so um, I would tell them to work the dream and get where you want to go. That's good stuff right there, coach. You know, work the dream because, uh, you know, it, it is. It's I, I can imagine, you know, interviewing 14 times and, and coming up short that, that amount of times that you that, that there were there were moments that I'm sure there was some self-doubt there. And, and you know, am I, am I doing the right thing here? Is this <laughs> do I need to go back and revisit what I'm doing? So when you did, you know, come up short those times, did you go back and tinker with what, you know, some things or did you just stick with it and just, you know, kind of polish it up some? It, you know, I always ask for feedback, and, and some people will give it to you, some people won't. Um, but the people that gave it to me, I took it, and I, if if they said this needs to change or that needs to change, I changed it. But I never changed the belief. I might have changed the structure, but I wasn't going to change what I believe in because that's what I believe in. And so uh, we polished it up. We we I've changed the head coaching manual layout twice. Uh, to get it where I, where I felt like it needed to be and added some stuff. But the beliefs never changed, and, and the overall here's the program never changed. Uh, so we, we polished it up. A lot of times, Coach, I thought those people were crazy for not hiring me. Uh, but, but, you know, I, if they had some constructive criticism, I certainly took it. And, uh, you know, time for number 14, uh, and number seven on campus was the one that got me over the top. Coach, I think, uh, you know, sometimes we have this, um, you know, misconception that it's a bad thing to be confident, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and so then you have guys going there and they're just, they, they're all about this false humility stuff. And, and, yep. you know, I really think that that's, that's, that's the wrong approach to take that, you know, people, the people want to hire someone who's confident, you know, they're about to give you the keys to their program. And especially at a division two school, the football team has a huge impact uh, on just the rest of the school. They want someone who believes in themselves and who's confident. And it is a fine line of confidence and, 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 and cockiness. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, but I, you know, I, I love what you said. You, you think they're crazy for not hiring you. And I think that's the way you got to think, uh, you know, Hey, they just let the best, they just, let the best uh, thing that they could have had going for them for the next five or six years, you know, walk out the door. So I, I think that's definitely the mentality you have to have. Yep. And, you know, Trump Coach, here's the deal. No, I never took no as no. I took no as not now. Yeah. Or this is not the one. And I look back at some of those places where I really wanted to be. And, and you know, a couple of those schools, Coach, are closed. Um, and so I think the good Lord kind of helped me not get some of those jobs and, and so uh I'm, I'm really grateful that that this was the one and uh look forward to seeing what we can do here no doubt well let's 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 go back to your days uh as a d-line coach uh and, and talk about yeah. stopping the run okay uh yeah. discuss your philosophy on stopping the run and how you're coaching things up like hand placement block recognition block destruction escapes things like that yeah so we We've always taught, we've always started with hand placement, and we've always taught it as a half a man um, teaching progression. And so we tell our kids, we're, I'm not a thumbs up guy. And I know a lot of people say thumbs up. I, I used to be a thumbs up guy, coach, and I used to slow down and start watching where our kids' hands were placing, uh, being placed, and their thumbs were never up. Just when they got in the fight, their thumbs didn't stay up. And so when I got to Sioux Falls, I started teaching 
um, striking with the heel of my hand, creating a W with my thumbs, and leaving a place for my face as I attack. So it's a it's a right on that inside shoulder cuff where the where the squeeze is on the jersey uh, between the armpit and right on that that inside pick on top of the numbers, striking with the heel of my hand there. And that forms a, a little W with your, with your thumbs, and then we call that place on top of it a place for my face. And so we, I've always told D linemen, if you don't want to put your face mask into a guy, you can't play D line for me. You might be able to play D line, you can't do it for me because we want to use my face, my hands, and we want to create maximum punch and separation. And if I, when I want to get my face out of it, that's when I lock guys out, which we call locking out straight nails. Uh, and so we've taught that as what we call 13 hand places. So we label the chest one in that cuff of the shoulder and the armpit I talked about, the inside high peck uh, as two, and then the lower peck, the, the mid peck three. And I said, I never want to be at two because I'm too high, my hand will slip off. I want to be right at three, which is right on the top of that number. And so that's 13. And then we go 22 hand placement is when I'm head up. And I do want to be high to control more surface on the man, higher with my hands. And so we've always coached hand placement as 13 and 22. Uh, 13 every time I'm a shade, 22 when I'm head up and I'm a zero nose, that can't be wrong. And so that's what we've taught. Uh, and then getting separation, we always key going back. We always key that outside shoulder pad tip. If I'm on a shade, if I'm head up, we let them key the screws of the helmet or the nose of the man. And we say we want to key the lowest of the two. You got old linemen that put their head down. All You can't see their nose. You just see the screws of their helmet. You got other old linemen that get their face back. You can see their nose. So you want to, when I'm a nose, I want to key the nose. And so that's how we've always taught that. Um, and then, you know, we, we teach a, from an initial block rec standpoint, if we're more of a read stance team, um, we want to, there is react, attack, and then there's attack react. And so we always, we've always taught the react attack first because of all the zone stuff that we see. We say we want to maintain gap integrity. Well, if that guy, if I'm in a right-handed stand and my, I'm a three technique and the guard is reaching me to my left and I step with my right foot, I'm going to be behind one. So we kind of get more of a square stand where I can have my right hand down and slightly step with my left foot to get, get me back to even with that reach block and then get that second step in the ground and get vertical from there so we maintain the gap integrity. And so that's, that's what now, whenever we want to go um, attack, react, we're telling the kid he can't be wrong, don't worry about getting reached. Uh, just get as vertical as possible. If you get vertical in the next gap, fine. Then we, we'll just deal with the backers and make you right. And so we talk both of those that way. Uh, but in, re in react attack, that's when my hands got to be right. That's when I'm really keying the outside shoulder pad tip or the nose or screws of that guy if I'm in a zero. Coach, I want to go back to uh, your thumbs because I got to say, you know, I, I've, I've, 
I haven't heard that before, and, and so that's that's something that kind of piques my interest, and, and I want to I want to flesh that out a little bit. Uh, yep. When you have your thumbs inside, and I'm I'm, I'm kind of picturing it, you know, you're making a W with your with your thumbs, and uh, and then you have a, 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 a space or a place for your face. You say like right above your thumbs. Um, are you, are uh-huh. you worried? Uh, how do you get? And maybe this is not something you're necessarily teaching, but how do you get knockback? And and like you said, lockout with nails. I think that's how you referred it. How do you get that? Yep. With with, you know, now their elbows are out, uh, and it's yep. you know, I, I, talk about that. So here's what we tell our kids, uh, because that's the question that we get, because everybody's been taught thumbs up and lock those elbows out. I ask kids, I say, hey, have you ever ran out of gas? They go, yeah. I said, did you get behind the car and push it? They say, yeah. So I said, how did you push it? Show me how you push the car. And they bear down with their thumbs not up and their, the heel of their hands on back of the car. We do it on a board, and they start pushing, and their elbows are locked out. And so here's what we tell them. I ask them, well, why are your elbows locked out? Because i got to push this car, and I know i got to have maximum strength in order to push the car. And I said, so are you making your elbows lock out, or do they naturally just lock out? It's because I'm making my elbows lock out. I said, and I tell them that's the only thing you got to do on the man. If you want your elbows to be locked, they'll lock. And it, it probably is easier with thumbs up to lock out, but there's no rule that says they can't lock out with my thumbs not up and I'm striking with the heel of my hand. We just try to teach what, what locked out elbows feel like. And so I tell them, Straighten your arm out as much as possible. I said, do you feel the pull in your elbow and tricep area? And they go, yeah. I mean, bicep area. They say, yeah. I said, that's what you need to feel every time you you get off a block. And that's how we've taught it, Coach. It's been that simple for us um, in the way that we teach it just because we break it down to that fine of a detail. You can lock those elbows out if you want to. And again, that goes back to that 212 mentality. We do things because we want to and because we can, not because that's the way it's always been done. And that that's what we put in them, Coach, and we're able to lock, lock folks out, straight nail them. And we tell kids we use the straight nail principle because you never hit a bent nail into a piece of wood. They go, good on, Coach, it won't go straight. I said, I know. So we need your arms as straight as those nails are that you're hitting in that piece of wood. Yeah. And it's like a light bulb goes off. And um, it, it, it's worked for me, Coach, probably for the last eight years. All right. Well, I'm st- I'm definitely stealing the nail the nail uh, analogy. I like I like I like that one a lot. I like that one a lot. I, I, I don't know if I'll give you credit. I may not give you credit, but but uh, I, I'm definitely stealing I'm definitely stealing that one. Uh, talk about so you talked about being react and, and attack uh, and and just bouncing up your stance. Uh, so so talk to us about that stance, what that looks like, how how weights distributed. I know you've already kind of talked about it, but just go into more detail about that about your stance yeah so in a react attack stance or let me just start with the normal stance anytime our normal base stance we want to have a heel toe stagger and that's always the stagger that we've that we've always used and in jet stands when we know it's pass rush we let them get in whatever stagger they want because we know what we what we came to do and normally on a pass rush down we're we're attack react and so we're just trying to get as vertical as possible and get off the ball. So we, in normal downs, we want to go heel-toe. 
if we ever react, attack, we want to go toe to bunion. And we tell them to put that outside. If I'm getting in a right-handed stance, get that right toe to my left bunion area so that I can be somewhat even, have a slight stagger, but I still can be somewhat even. Yeah. Kind of like a stunt footwork uh, when you know you're moving side to side and you even up a little bit. We try to use that same stance in a, in a react attack uh, mode just so if I have to step with that left foot first, even though my right hand is down, and that it's just a slight jab step to the left with that left foot, I can. I'm not doing. I'm not dragging that right foot. I'm getting that right foot down as fast as possible as well. And so that's that's been the stance that we've used to to kind of accomplish that. When you're in your react and attack, okay, they're keying uh, either shoulder tip or or they're keying the nose or the helmet screws. Uh, so is mm-hmm. that that first step? Is that uh, that's is that it? Like, are they making an in-flight adjustment type deal? Is that a real short, quick step uh, to and you know, get that thing back in the ground? How's that? How are you coaching yep. up that first step? It's real quick, coach. It's just a, it's, it's not six inches. It's, it really can be up and down depending upon who we're playing. Yeah. And and we try to coach how that guard is going to reach or down all week. And so we say if. if that shoulder comes at me, I'm stepping at it with that right foot if I'm in the right hand stand. If that shoulder goes to my left, I got to take a quick a quick step with my left foot and then get the second step vertical so that I can make sure I'm even, I keep my nose on that shoulder pad tip. And so we, we coach it as we took the inches off of it a long time ago and just kind of said, hey, it's up and down fast as I can. Yeah. So in coaching the drill work, we don't, you know, some people do the one-step drill. We do everything in a two-step progression. Yeah. Whether it's right, left, left, right. And we try to coach it that way in everything that we do. Yeah, and, and just getting that, it's almost like, you know, you're getting your knee up and getting it back in the ground. I, I talk about it like, it. you know, if, if kids have ever, like, been on, like, a, a, a dirt bike or something where they got to, you know, they got to stomp down on, on the gas or whatever or, um, uh, to get it started, it. you know, that's kind of what that step is like, you know, um, getting that knee up and getting yep. it back down uh, as fast as possible. So what were some of your favorite, just your favorite everyday drills that you used uh, to, to help, you know, teach this stuff up? You know, Coach, well, every day I wanted to strike something. You know what I mean? I wanted to – and I didn't – I wasn't a big sled guy as a D-line coach. I like to strike men because yeah. that's who we're going to strike. And so uh, we had a little drill where we put the, the offensive guy down on the knee, defensive guy in the right or left-handed stance, and we're working that 13-hand placement. And as I get off and keeping that pad level down, as I get off and get my hands to 13 – and locking out, uh, having a place for my face and getting him locked out, it raised that guy up that was in a stance uh, down on the knee force. Um, doing that, doing a bunch of uh, just footwork on bag drills, making sure our feet are really good and, and precise, and then really working. I've been in a lot of defenses where we moved a lot, so working the three stances, the regular footwork, the, the stunt footwork, um, and then the jet footwork stuff that we were talking about earlier from stances, working those three things consistently uh, was, was really big. We didn't have a lot of drills uh, that we did. We wanted to make sure we got good at the ones that we did. The one thing, too, Coach, uh, we always worked was 
not necessarily being under a shoot all the time. Uh, I know a lot of guys like to shoot, and I love to shoot too. But when you talk about low pad level, we define low as having my hat below his hat. Yeah. And that way I knew I was low. I've been, I, I used to be guilty of screaming at guys, you're not low enough. Well, the guy is six seven. He ain't going to be low like the 5'11 guy. Yeah. And so what we said is let's define what low is. Low is when my hat is below the offensive lineman's hat. Then I'm low because I'm lower than him. Right. And that's really all that matters right now. And so doing a lot of stuff that that work, working with offensive linemen or using defensive linemen and scout offensive linemen, working the pad level of what it looks like between my and with my hat being below his hat and still working the hand placement and the movement of, of, of footwork and things of that nature. Those are things that we did over and over every single day along with our normal pass rush stuff. When you're breaking down an opponent's run game, you know what what are some things mm-hmm. that you look for and, and what are some examples of maybe some adjustments that you might make, you know, based off things that you're you're picking up from watching that offense? You know, the easiest thing, coach, is, is you know, as a D line coach, you want to know when they're gonna run and when they're gonna pass. Yeah. And um looking at I was being at Texas State last year, I was really surprised how many Division One schools in the Sun Belt gave that away. And, and even outside of the Sun Belt, I'll give you an example. We're playing Wyoming, and every time the left tackle's foot was back deep, no matter if he was in a three-point or not, it was a pass. And we would make a plain, plain, plain call. Or if it, we knew if, if that foot wasn't back, we knew it was a run, we'd make a bus call. That was the easiest thing for our kids to to decipher because it allowed us to let the whole D-line know whether we can turn loose or whether we need to be more square re-stance, uh, react attack. And so that's the first thing I always look for. Depth of the tailback, we would call out a lot of times so we know, especially at Ian, you know, if I've got the offset back to my side and he's in what we call a three position, which is deep, I know the cutback ain't necessarily there. It's more of a downhill run. Right. But if he's wide and even in a two position, then the ball can wind back if, the, if he's offset to my side. So I know if the tackle down blocks, then I know how far I need to squeeze right. based on that back, back alignment. And so just a couple of things that we looked at uh, that I thought were really easy that very that were really consistent throughout the season too. It wasn't just a one team wonder. You know, it, it was kinda if he was pistol, we treated that as the three position. We know that it was a, that was gonna be a downhill run. If that guy was ever in a one position in front, we knew that the quarterback run game was real. Yeah. And we knew what we were gonna get. And so um, really breaking down those intricacies is what I spent a lot of time on with at Texas State. Uh, getting that coached up and, and giving our guys an advantage there. How, how do you just because you brought it up? I'll ask you how how did you how are you coaching up your defensive ends to play uh, a down block? Are they shuffling the whole time like surf technique and closing down space? Are they yep. turning their shoulders? How are they how are they playing that? We tell them on any down block, you got two shuffles, eyes to the mesh, and you should know what's going on. And so what we've done, coach, is we stopped chasing that tackle. 
Um, you know, when the zone read stuff first came out, when I first started coaching, everybody was trying to get hands on that tackle and exchange the end with the wheel backer yes. or, the, or the inside backer, right? Yeah, go tackle the and dive. So that's it. And so now from that, what we what we did in the 212 was we said if the tackle's going down, let him go down. And we're going as a C-gap defender in our defense, you're the quarterback player. You're the inside half of the quarterback. So if I, as long as, if the back is offset to my side, I get a down block, I should shuffle and squeeze and surf two shuffles, and then I'm in position to play the wind back, depending upon what position that back is in. If he's in a two or three, I should know if I'm going to get wind back. But most of all, I'm in position to still play the quarterback and at least get back flat and make the quarterback come back inside of me and not beat me to a spot. And that's how we chose to play those down blocks at Ian. And it's really, we've been we've been blessed to be athletic at Ian, uh, but even when we weren't, the two-shuffle rule, it allowed us to, to just uh, at least sit and see what's going on. So let's talk about real quick to get a question for your inside guys. Uh, you know, one of the things you always have to have an answer for with your inside guys, and I'm curious if it's a little bit different with, with you know, your, your uh, reacting attack. How are you coaching defeating double teams with your interior linemen? Yeah, Coach. You know, I love the double team because I'm, I'm a shade. I'm a tilt shade by trade. And when I played in Monroe, the, the double team was real from the center guard. And you were already tilted, and they, I felt like that gave me an advantage, right? Yeah. And so we, when I, when I started coaching, the tilt kind of went out of style. And so we started teaching what we call a high wall, which you hear coaches go attack the postman, don't worry about the second man. So what we try to do is we define what a double team is with our kids. And we tell our kids a double team is a base block with help. So attack the base block. Whoever I'm aligned on, attack him. When I feel the double team, I want to take that hand that's in the one position because I should be playing it in 13 hands. Take that hand that's in the one position, raise up. Instead of instead of locking out, I want to press up and, and slightly turn myself. Don't take a knee, but just slightly turn myself and sneak my front hip through. By that time, the double team would have, should have come off. If it hadn't come off, we got the wrong linebacker if he hadn't made the play. Yeah. If it, yeah. If it has come off, now I'm no different than a tilt shade in, in that from when I play, and I just I, I rip off an arm over depending upon the shoulders that I got from the base block. And so we call it a high wall technique, and it's really been good for us. And you see our kids play in any shaded alignment, three or shade or even four eye. Um, you'll see those kids go high wall real quick and sneak that front hip through and stay alive on that double team. Here's a problem I've run into a lot, and, and, and maybe it's how I'm coaching it, but you get kids who can't always tell the difference between a, a, yep. a, du- a base double and like a zone double, okay, like like yep. they're passing you off, and so they want to sit down on that, what they feel is their pressure key, but but it's really just a zone, and so then they, then they, they end up getting gap removed. Uh, 
by mm-hmm. you know by the center or whatever and 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 so now because they get so gun shy right I mean like as soon as that that guard breathes on them they want to turn their hips into that, <laughs> that pressure and, and kind of sit down on yep. it so you know how, how how has that ever been an issue and how have you fixed that the zone double with where it's like they're piggybacked on back on top of each other. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So we call it a piggyback block, and we say with those, I gotta I gotta stay square and fight to stay square as long as I can and flatten it out. Yeah. That's a little bit different than a high wall in the gap scheme, and so I want to stay flat. Don't let my hips get turned either way when I'm getting that piggyback block. Yeah. And we we've. We kind of drill it, Coach, to where we piggyback them from the hash all the way to the sideline and make them fight it out longer than what they normally would, if that makes sense. Yeah, just to get and a feel so, for it. And, yeah. Yep, just to get a – and say, hey, man, this is the worst it could ever get for you, and it won't even be like that. Yeah. And yeah. so if you can just flatten it out early, then you'll be better off. And so uh, that's, that's, that's the one where we say, hey, fight to stay square. The whole time, but it does go. All, it does go back to beat the man in front of you, right? I mean, that's it. I, and, and, the one-on-one yeah, yep. yeah, and 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 then the other little nuances there are great, you know. But but man, if you just just beat the man in front of you, and then your life is, is a whole lot easier instead of trying to worry about what that guard might do or what you know whatever, just beat the man in front of you. We tell them coaches just like your real life. Deal with one thing, what's in front of you, and then the, the other stuff, it'll sort out if you can deal with what's in front of you. Oh, so you're dropping some life knowledge right there in the middle of Indy. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. But coaching your time of just breaking down film and just being around football and being around defensive line coaches and just program and your other programs, you know, who are some defensive lines, college or pro, that, that you've watched and admired over the years for you know how they play the run specifically? It's been so many, but I've got a chance to really watch uh, Carl Dunbar. Uh, I think he's with the Steelers now, but he was at Alabama. He's with the Minnesota Vikings for a really long time and got a chance to really watch him. And, you know, I, I when I was a younger D-line coach, I used to go to the combine every year and just watch those guys work the floor at the combine. And, man, I thought there was a lot of great D-line coaches out there, took a lot of drills from that. So he's one of the pros that I would watch. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you, over the last few years, the D-line coaches I've been fortunate enough to work with when I was a coordinator, uh, there was a young one named Ja'Cory Greer at, at Texas State. I think he's a young up-and-comer, a lot of energy, uh, but just a technician. Really likes what he does with the kids in the run game and the pass rush game, uh, just with hand placement. Being, he coaches the violence of the hands, and, and I really like violent hands. I think that, that a lot of kids have dead feet and dead hands, and that's, that's what gets them beat at the end of the day. And he coaches those little intricacies really detailed. Um, another guy that, that I really, really uh, like to watch is uh, Joe Cullen, uh, who was with the Ravens for a while. Uh, I thought Joe did a really good job at, at getting guys, especially zero noses. I thought he did a really good job with zero noses. And, Coach, I'm a nose guard. Like, I'm not a D-tackle. I'm a nose guard in my heart. So I really like watching good zero play. 
And, man, every time uh, Clarence Brooks was a guy in the league that I got a chance to watch before he passed, uh, who coached the, the Ravens nose guards, I thought they stayed the squares I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah. And so those yeah. are some guys that I've always watched uh, and kind of admired from afar. And then Ja'Cory, obviously, I got a chance to work with him, and then he took my spot at Texas State as well. So uh, being able to watch him has been great for me too. Well, Coach, great stuff. I've had a lot of fun talking with you, and well, I mean, I could do this for another couple hours, but we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna close out with some rapid fire questions, kind of keep you on your toes. And just based on our conversation already, I don't think you're gonna have any problem with these. I think you're gonna handle these like a champ. <laughs> so we're gonna go. We're gonna Ooh. jump right in here. I, I, I'm gonna try to throw you off some and just test you out a little bit, but I. I have a feeling that okay. that, uh, that you're going to be all right. So here we go. You already talked. You just talked about it. Head up or shade nose? What you got? Head up every day. <laughs> <laughs> lag or no lag? Lag technique or no lag technique? I love the lag, coach. Okay. Love it. All right. Can't be wrong. All right. <laughs> this. Would you rather coach in the cold or the heat? You've been in both. You're in cold weather now. Would you rather coach in the cold or the heat? Man, because I'll take the cold. Okay. You always have more, right? That's it. That's it. I can warm up. It's hard to cool off for a big guy. All right. Sideline or press box during the game? Sideline. Sideline. Can't do it, Coach. Okay. All right. You got to you got to get them going. It's hard. It's hard to be a D line coach up in the box. It just is. That's it. That's you can it. be an inside receivers coach in the box, you know. And if you're an inside receivers coach and you just got mad about that, then you just prove my point because you're sensitive and you need to yep. go up in the box. But anyway, all right. Game day on game day. Are you as a, as a coach? Are you superstitious or no? Very. What are some super? Yeah. Besides, so what are some superstitions you got for for game day? Man, coach, when in sixteen. I had the same Skittle bag in my pocket for 12 ball games. And we went, we so we won the first 12. Wow. And uh, the one I didn't have my Skittle in my pocket, we lost by a field goal second round of 12. And I, I blame me for that. Now, hey, <laughs> th- did that game happen to be against Harding University? That's what it was, Coach. Coach, You know that's my alma mater, and I was watching that game. I I was watching that game online. And and you know no no offense I'd never heard and I'm sure I'd never heard of Sioux Falls and I'm sure they'd never yep. heard of Harding. So you had an empty Skittles bag in your pocket. Is that what it was? It had two Skittles for twelve weeks. I got you. I got you. Okay. Yeah, and I, I decided to, to just throw it away because I thought we were rolling. And uh, man. Guy kicked the, the longest field goal of his career, yeah. you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I saw it. I, I was watching. Longest field goal of his career. Yeah. When you're traveling, all right, would you rather drive uh-huh. or fly? Fly. Okay. All right. Have you done any flying in, since all this COVID stuff happened? Right before one time. Okay. I, I haven't, but we, we drove I got everywhere else. <laughs> all right. Now, this is a this one. This is a big time question right here. You mentioned Tecmo Tecmo Bowl, Tecmo Super Bowl at the, at the top of the, our conversation. So, and this is maybe one of the most uh, controversial questions I'm going to ask you. Who's the better running back on? I'll say Tecmo Super Bowl. Who's the better running back on Tecmo Super Bowl? Christian Okoye, the Nigerian Nightmare, or Bo Jackson? Jackson never been tackled. <laughs> and you had and you had Marcus <laughs> Allen there also. You had Bo Jackson and Marcus Allen. It's really unfair. Really unfair. Yeah. Really yeah. unfair. All right. <laughs> uh, practice, and especially now that you're a head coach at Colorado Mesa, are you guys bumping some music or no music? We are jamming, coach. Y- y'all got some we Houston. Y'all got some Houston rap on the playlist or what? 
We got Houston, Drake. We got no country. We got one country song, and that's when practice is almost over. I got you. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Now, Coach, you, we mentioned already, too, that, that, that you're a Houston Waltrip. Uh, alumni, and there are a lot of a yep. lot of proud alumni from from Waltrip. You got Keenan McCardell, you got your coach Van Malone, but then you also mm-hmm. have a guy that some people might have heard of, and that's Patrick Swayze. Okay, so mm-hmm. here's what I want to know, Coach: the the bigger, more well known alumni alumnus of Houston Waltrip, Patrick Swayze, or you? I'm gonna say me today. <laughs> I'm gonna say me today. I'm gonna say he had me beat through the nineties, but yeah. once once I came out of there, it's probably me. Now. I got you. I got you. Now you said you you've met him before, is that right? Yeah, so he went to school with my mom and I met him at, at one of my mom's class reunions and, and uh really fun guy. Good athlete too. A lot of people don't know that about Patrick Swayze. He's a good athlete. And you know, we had the Undertaker go to my high school as well. Really? I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. yeah so that's yeah. some big time people coming out of Waltrip. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people with me, you know, Van yeah. came, you know, I, Van is Van because of me. That's I'm right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he, I'm sure he'd agree if we asked him the same question. <laughs> okay. Since we're talking about Houston Waltrip high school football, let's, let's settle it right now. Better high school football in the state of Texas, Dallas or Houston. H-Town, no doubt, now, no you, doubt. I, I'm sure you watched, you know, two seasons ago in the 6A state championship, you had North Shore and Duncanville and that unbelievable finish. Yep. And then again, yep. they, they, they went back for the second time this year, and that was really sort of a shame because, you know, Duncanville's quarterback, Jaquinnon Jackson, got hurt the week before the state championship game. And so you kind of feel like that mm-hmm. wasn't the real, you know, rematch. Uh, but it looks like... You know, if we have a season and everything goes as planned, that there there might be a third part of that. So, you know, but but up to this point, Houston's dominated. You know, North Shore's dominated. Yeah. They're uh, you know one that won the uh, the kind of the mythical national championship two years ago. So, yeah. a lot of great a lot of great football in Houston for sure. All right, no doubt. No here, here's doubt. The, here is the scenario, Coach. Okay, third and long, late in the fourth quarter, you need to stop to win the game. The offense mm-hmm. is on your 25 yard line. Are you sending pressure or no pressure? They're on our 25-yard line. We're, we're going to pressure them up. Okay. We're going to try to get the ball out quick, and, and if we can get it out quick, we hope to catch him, let them catch it and tackle it, or either we're going to get them out of the field goal range that they're already in. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Coach, great stuff today. Again, had a blast. And, and uh, I, I know you got a bunch of guys, a bunch of coaches down here in Texas who are going to be pulling for you and, and just want to wish you the best of luck this next season. Coach, thanks so much, man. And I look forward to it. You know, I, I listen to these all the time, and uh, I'm just I'm, I'm very appreciative to be on here, Coach. So thank you. Thanks once again to Coach Jackson, who absolutely brought his A game today. And I don't think there is any doubt that CMU hit a home run with that hire. So good luck to Coach and the Mavericks in 2020. They picked up some fans here in Texarkana, no doubt. Uh, you can follow Coach Jackson on Twitter at CoachJack212. And be sure to let him know you heard him on KYPD. And if you want to hear more from Coach, check out the show notes of today's episode where you'll find a link to a video of him mic'd up at an Abilene Christian practice when he was the D.C. there. And then there is also a lengthier video produced by CMU, uh, Colorado Mesa University, where they interview Coach and talk more in depth about his background and vision for the programs. So check those out as well. Also. KYPD now has a YouTube channel. So if you like the podcast, head over to the Keep Your Pads Down YouTube channel, subscribe, and be on the lookout for more videos covering various aspects of D-line play coming soon.
Our quote of the day comes from Coach Tony Dungy, and it is, Others determine your reputation, but only you determine your integrity. And with that, we'll call it a wrap for today's episode of KYPD. Join us next week. We'll be back with episode number 68, and we'll be talking with the, and I don't think I'm overstating this, but the authority on Texas high school football. So, of course, we'll get deep into some Texas high school football talk and and a ton of other stuff. So mash that subscribe button and be sure to join us back next week for episode number 68. Until then, have a great week. Love God, love others. And what else you got for him, Coach Jackson? Hey, man, keep your pads down.